0: Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. For today's episode, well, we were planning to spend the full show taking a deep dive into a controversial but important conversation about President Biden's mental fitness, and we are still going to do that. But first, We're following all the developments in the assassination threat against sitting Supreme Court Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh, a California man. Now he's charged with attempted murder. Law enforcement says the guy showed up at Justice Kavanaugh's home with a gun, ammo, a tactical knife, a screwdriver, a crowbar, zip ties and duct tape. According to The Washington Post, Justice Kavanaugh and his family were at home. The justice has two young teenage daughters. Imagine how terrifying that must feel. This is almost 2 a.m., right? Everybody in the house is asleep. They must have gotten a call saying we just arrested a man for attempted murder of you, a sitting Supreme Court justice. Senator Rand Paul says the White House and the Democrats have been actively encouraging crazy people to go to the homes of the justices to intimidate them and gin up hate as we await their critical decision on, among other cases, Dobbs, the case that asks them to decide whether Roe versus Wade should be overturned. That's the one we saw a leaked opinion of, uh, which suggests they're prepared to overturn Roe, but the decision has not yet been released. Last night, protesters showed up yet again outside of Justice Kavanaugh's home. They don't care. Only their message matters to them. Senator Paul joins me now. Senator, great to have you back in the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: This is beyond, uh, you know, after weeks now of Democrats ginning up hate and upset. Now we see it's not I'm not saying their rhetoric led to this lunatic from California coming, but the leaked opinion certainly did. Whoever the leaker is, has got some explaining to do because he says he was upset about Roe about the draft opinion in Dobbs and meant to kill Justice Kavanaugh. What do you make of it and what do you make of the total blackout of this story by the press?
1: Well, you know, I I think it's quite predictable. I said from the very beginning, I've been worried about the justices safety and I've also been worried about allowing these crowds to gather outside their houses uh, one, it's reprehensible that someone should have released their addresses. It's also reprehensible that a lawyer, in all likelihood, a clerk that works for a Democrat appointed justice, and they've narrowed it down, I hear, to a couple of names, that this person would release this knowing that what they were unleashing is every crazy in the whole country wants to come, you know, in protest. So there's a lot of things going on here that should be differently. One. One. The person who released this should be punished, disbarred. And, and if there is a legal crime committed here, absolutely prosecuted. But it's also reprehensible that the White House has said very little of anything. You know, the White House has said, oh, they have the right to protest. Well, I, I disagree. You have the right to protest in a public place, in a public venue, in front of someone's house, um, chanting, screaming, using a bullhorn uh, when people are trying to have their own privacy and perhaps even to sleep. I think is disturbing the peace and i think you should be arrested and carted off i don't think they should let 500 people gather outside of justice kavanaugh's house Mm -hmm. i think the more people that gather the more chances there are for someone to infiltrate that crowd who is armed and uh, we're just lucky this man was caught in advance and he sort of turned his own self in so but we're, we're just very lucky that this didn't re- uh, result in violence.
0: There's a law against this, you know, in the district where, or where where he lives. There's a law against coming out outside of the Supreme Court justice's house and protesting. It's not being enforced. And um, let me just before I get on to the specifics of this case, because you're right, the guy turned himself in which is kind of disturbing, you know, because he walked past two marshals. As I understand, he walked past two U.S. deputy marshals. They spotted him getting out of a cab in front of the justice's home around 105 a.m. He walked right past them down the street with murder on his mind. It wasn't until he stopped and said, I'm going to call 911 and confess I feel suicidal and homicidal that anything was done to this guy. So the, the security system doesn't seem so good.
1: It, it's sort of intriguing to think of the hypocrisy too. the whole country, I think, is rightfully aghast at the horrible murders that happened in Uvalde, Texas. And i thinking of ways, how could we stop these kind of things from happening? Well, we should also be thinking about how could we stop, you know, the assassination of a justice from happening? How could we stop violence and intimidation of justices from happening before it happens? And we know we know what we should do. They should enforce the law. So if you want an 18-year-old that ends up being a mass murderer to stop, it means you need to arrest them in advance when they commit crimes. If they kill the neighbor's uh, pets, if they uh, are threatening other students, they have to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Now, they get their day in court, they get a lawyer, but they should be prosecuted. But the same goes for this. Instead of turning the other way and the White House saying, oh, protests, you know, nothing to see here, peaceful protests. Well no, what we need to do is use the laws on the book, prosecute these people, have them removed, and um, but they're not doing it. And it's, it, it, it is going to lead to violence, and that's why you know we ought to do something. The person who leaked this did this with the intention of intimidation, and their leak is going to be related to the violence. They need to be prosecuted to the uh, nth degree to whatever possible crime that if there is a crime there, they need to be prosecuted. At the very least, they should be fired and disbarred.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Any future contributorship on MSNBC, et cetera, is done now. It's done. You don't do something that directly places the life of a U.S. Supreme Court justice in danger, almost gets him and his family murdered, even in today's society, and wind up with a paying deal on MSNBC. That's not going to happen. The outrage over that will be too loud for them to ignore.
1: Let's hope let's hope that that's not their end result is that the left embraces them. But this is sort of the hypocrisy that goes on on the left. The left is horrified when someone on their side is somehow intimidated or shot at, but, uh, it's amazing the comments uh, that have gone on for years about the shooting at the ball field with Steve Scalise done by a left-wing lunatic, um, you know, for years, you know, I, I was attacked for political reasons by someone who, uh, you know, attacked me from behind, had six ribs broken, had part of my lung removed, suffered for years from this. And, uh, on the, on internet, the left wing thinks it's funny. They think it's hilarious. And they encourage people on a daily, um, daily basis to come and finish the job. Mm -hmm. And so it is amazing when you see the left and see the double standard, um, they don't seem to be too concerned about the justices' lives because they're only showing up at conservative justices' houses. Uh, if the shoe were on the other foot and this were a more liberal justice, I think you might um, at that point see some sympathy from the left and the left-wing media.
0: What do you make of it? Because the White House put out a uh, written statement, President condemns the actions of this individual in strong terms, grateful to law enforcement. Uh, he's made consistently clear that judges and other public officials officials should do their jobs without concern for their personal Safety or their families, Uh, any threats of violence or attempts to intimidate judges have no place in our society. Okay, like a written statement. I mean, I I wonder what you think. But Ben Sasse is out there saying he needs to get out there and personally and forcefully condemn violence and threats against the sitting Supreme Court justices.
1: But but it needs to be more than just condemning the one shooter. We need to condemn all 500 people that are out in front of a house. They shouldn't be allowed to be there. Look, our attorney general had a difficult uh, case in our state uh, involving the police and involving a shooting. And there were 100 people on his lawn. We can't allow that to happen. I think they finally were arrested for being on the lawn. But you really have no right to stand on the sidewalk with a bullhorn and disrupt someone's uh, privacy really at any time, but particularly all night long, they, they, they should not be allowed to do this. It should be disturbing the peace at the very least. It won't be a very significant penalty, but they'll be arrested and removed. And the more they continue to do it and show contempt for the law, the longer the sentencing would get. But uh, we should enforce the law. If you don't enforce the law against some of these more minor crimes, what they do is they lead to bigger and bigger and bigger crowds where there's the, uh, more of a danger of someone actually concealing themselves within the crowd that's going to commit violence.
0: hmm. Yeah. The, the guy said that um, just for people who haven't read the, the morning paper, uh, he said that he came to kill. Uh, he, he called Montgomery County Emergency Communications Center 911. He said, I'm suicidal and I've come to kill a specific Supreme Court judge. Uh, He had the Glock 17, two magazines, ammo, pepper spray, tactical knife, hammer, screwdriver, crowbar, zip ties, duct tape, along with other gear, said he came from California and he said, I am upset over the leaked draft of. The Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade on the case is called Dobbs, also upset about the school shooting in Uvalde and also upset thinking this justice might support looser gun laws. His plan was to kill Justice Kavanaugh and then himself, according to the FBI affidavit, thinking that it would give his life purpose. When asked how he found Justice Kavanaugh's home address, the complaint states he said he would kill him and decided to kill him after finding the justice's Montgomery County address on the Internet. Now it's posted. And this group Ruth sent us, which continues to protest outside of his house and encourage others to join them, says today in a tweet, stop blaming us for disclosing Kavanaugh's address. Just search Twitter. It's all out there, including second homes and summer villas, et cetera. There's no remorse for adding to that. Those there's no reward remorse for continuing to go to the guy. like maybe the night that he almost got murdered and his teenage daughters almost got murdered, you don't show up. Maybe that's the day you take a night off from protesting.
1: Well, you know, look, Google and YouTube will take down a video of me saying that cloth masks don't work, but they're unwilling to take down the address of a Supreme court justice. And really this is above and beyond even the law. They have the ability as private companies to take things down, but they're not. So, you know, wouldn't you think that they would care about intimidation and possible violence you know, they should be voluntarily taking down the addresses of Supreme Court justices, as well as politicians. I mean, putting those addresses up there just puts people at risk. Think about it in a country of 330 million people. How many people out there are looking for, you know, have some sort of mental illness, looking for a way to commit suicide by committing a murder and having the police shoot them or having their sort of day in fame as they commit suicide? It's unfortunately not a few people. It's more than a handful of people. You would think it might be to the tune of hundreds of people that might fit in that category, and when you announce where you can go and how you can, you know, do this, uh, it's an invitation to crazies. And um, no, I, I think we, we need to do a better job, both right and left, of being of the mind that this kind of stuff should not be broadcast. And really, ideally, the the private entity should step up. And uh, you know, Twitter claims that they want to, you know, that they're against violence. But if you go on Twitter at any on any day, you can read hundreds of people tweeting that uh, the person attacked me should come back and finish the job. The mm. person that, that, that attacked me from behind broke six of my ribs, damaged my lung, that that person should come back and finish the job. Many of these people are actually uh, so-called celebrities that enjoy and think that this is just hilarious. The problem is they may think it's hilarious, but what about the crazy person who reads that and says, well, I think I will be. I'm the one to go over there and finish the job if somebody will mm-hmm. post his address. So this is it's, it's disgusting. But, uh, it, you know, it's a it's a definitely a double standard where the left doesn't seem to care if they don't like well, your politics. Right.
0: That's right, because, you know, we we just went through a month of them trying to blame Tucker Carlson for uh, the Buffalo mass shooting, which was racistly motivated uh, because they think Tucker spews things on Fox News that they claim are racist. They, They won't condemn this. All of this hate. And angry rhetoric directed specifically at a sitting justice. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh has been one of the main guys named, right, because they know that Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, Justice Gorsuch, they're probably not waivable. They're the hardcore conservatives of the court. The buzz has been about Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh in particular on whether they could be pushed out of the five person majority. And um, So it's it's specific. And there's only nine total. There's only six conservatives. There's only five allegedly in the majority. We know their names. And there's only two who have been focused on as the possible wobblers. And like day after day, we've heard the stuff we heard from Chuck Schumer, the Chuck, the stuff we heard from Jen Psaki. It's fine to protest out there. Just don't be violent. It's fine to protest. Chuck Schumer later apologized for this remark. But listen to what he said. Uh, This is soundbite one.
2: I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions.
0: He didn't apologize. He just said he, he didn't say it the way he wanted to. And then you have the Chicago um, mayor who tweeted out it's, this is a call to arms, the draft Dobbs da- da- decision. So th- this is a lot more targeted and pointed than the stuff they condemn routinely as leading to violence.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, we went through this whole debate with the impeachment, you know, when they attempted to impeach uh, Trump the second time and said he incited violence. The thing is, is we played a clip or his team played a clip of basically every uh, Democrat senator in, in office currently was, I think, in the clip saying repeatedly, fight, fight, do this. And it was metaphoric language. But then some of the language is completely inexcusable. Uh, Schumer's language saying we will unleash the whirlwind, naming justices specifically who are going to unleash the whirlwind and saying that they won't know what hit them. I mean, all very, very visual type of encouragements or incitements to violence. And uh, now I think, you know, and they had the gall then to say that, you know, Trump saying go fight peacefully for your country is somehow a specific incitement. But Somehow Schumer's uh, incitement of the Supreme Court didn't matter at all. Yeah. No, I I think all sides need to tone it down a little bit. And uh, we need to we do need to protect the justices. And I think think about it now what's going to happen when this ruling comes out. They're already talking about bringing the National Guard into the streets. We have never in our country, to my knowledge, brought National Guard into the streets because of a Supreme Court ruling. And this all leads back to one person. One person started this. Otherwise, the you know a lot of times a controversial ruling comes out, and then they're gone for a couple of months. I presume they're you know not going to be in D.C. and will be gone somewhere else. But they go away, and then the public can debate and discuss this. But the person who unleashed this has unleashed a real storm, and they deserve punishment. And I I hope they find them. And I you know. Many people think it's down to, you know, somewhere between five and 10 people that possibly could have done this. Some people have um, insinuated that it might be one or two people that's down to or that they already know the name of the person. Um, A lot of insiders believe that we will get that. We will finally uh, be told who, who leaked this document.
0: Do you have any idea? Obviously, you're speaking with people who may be in the know. Do you have any idea when we might know?
1: The people who talk about this, who, you know, have worked over there and, you know, know the inner workings of the Supreme Court, they say that, uh, you know, they're going that if they would suspect that they won't release the name until after the ruling because they don't want to distract from the ruling. And then when the name is released, it'll be released in a very, very subdued way. Not like, you know, we're going to do a press conference to do it, but that it, it, something will happen to this person, that there will be uh, either formal uh, firing charges or something will happen. Mm-hmm. But the Supreme Court doesn't want to be consumed. And this is conjecture on my part. They don't want to consume with the media circus. They want to do everything they can. Possibly they don't want to be part of the news. They don't want yeah. to be in the middle of something like this. But uh, a lot of people believe they know who the person is already and that there is evidence pointing that direction. I don't have any specific knowledge other than just sort of hearing the scuttlebutt. But I hope they do catch the person and I hope that person is uh, severely punished.
0: When you hear the scuttlebutt, just to press you a bit, it, is it from people who would have reason to know or is it just people who are members of the Supreme Court bar or Supreme Court watchers who are like, oh, yeah, this is how it's, it's, likely just, to it's go. just
1: people who might or might not know. I don't know. They they talk to people. Everybody's got sort of theories. It's, you know, inside baseball kind of stuff. But uh, I think that. Um, I guess I, all I can say is that my I, I don't have enough to actually name any names or anything. I just think that it's it's my hope that they they will catch the person who did this, and that really the violence, the person that was caught yesterday, a potential assassin, um, was encouraged by someone at the Supreme Court who who released this document, and it really goes to trust and honor. And I'm not a lawyer, but apparently part of the oath of of taking the bar is that you will be an upright. Uh, honorable uh, person and that that Mm -hmm. it is against the oath of the bar to have done this. And uh, uh, the lawyers I know are saying that this person should be in in all likelihood will be disbarred. And then others are saying that it's actually a crime to sort of obstruct the proceedings of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll see where that bears out.
0: I can't imagine right now the tension at the Supreme Court as the justices, you know, go into the office and work on these major rulings that they still have yet to issue. They come out on Mondays and try to work together on, okay, what's your dissent going to be? What's you know, what's the majority going to be? Not just on Dobbs, but and have to be in the presence of these clerks. And we all know it was likely a clerk. Um, And in particular, as you point out, potentially one of the liberal justices clerks and Justice Kavanaugh's got to walk amongst them thinking one of you may have placed the life of my family and me in danger.
1: I think uh, to be, uh, I think if you actually interviewed the people on the left on the Supreme Court, though, I think the actual justices are probably all horrified by this. That's why I think there probably will be punishment because, uh, you know, like, this group this ruth sent us think of the irony of that uh ruth uh, bader ginsburg actually was friends with scalia even though they were from opposite points of view apparently they had dinner together their families played cards together um it wasn't travel together anger that you see so it is ironic that a group that thinks they're representing ruth ginsburg sends a murderer to a justice's house uh, how ironic and horrible and really just despicable
0: can I ask you about the original topic we were going to discuss before I let you go? And that is uh, today we're taking a deep dive into the the mental well-being of our sitting president. And, you know, most people in polite society don't like to touch this because it feels it feels rude. It feels kind of mean. But he is the sitting president. And we've seen increasing signs that President Biden may be deteriorating Mentally, so number one is it a fair subject for uh, to delve into, and number two, do you share these concerns?
1: Well, I think it's hard not to watch the press conferences, not to watch the missteps, the misstatements, and particularly where it's most apparent is in foreign policy. You know, uh, there were misstatements saying that we were sending troops to Ukraine. There were misstatements saying that. Um, We were demanding that uh, for regime change in Russia. These aren't small sort of uh, gaffes. These are major foreign policy um, misstatements that could actually lead to war. And so I've said repeatedly that I think that uh, he needs to be very, very careful. There's many, many people around the president who control and try to help him with things to say. He should not be unscripted when talking about foreign policy and probably should always speak from notes. Is he capable of speaking from notes? Most of the time he appears to be. Most of the trouble seems to be when it's extemporaneous and he doesn't have sufficient notes to go by. Whether or not this is actual decline, whether or not this is Alzheimer's, whether or not this is some typical, um, you know, slowing down of age it's hard to make any kind of medical diagnosis but it's also hard not to watch uh the gaffes and and think that uh, something's going on and uh for the for the health of the country i think we do need to be and the, those around him need to be very very careful um about not uh making statements that might lead to war or lead to an accidental war which would be a horror mhm
0: should he be forced to take a cognitive test as you know trump took one
1: well, I, I'm not big on using force uh, related right. to health care much. And so, uh, no, I, I think that uh, individuals make their own health decisions, even a president. But I think it is uh, open for criticism when you see uh, things that appear to be either confusion, uh, particularly if they have consequences of, of sending signals to our adversaries or enemies around the world um it is important and you know you start to wonder if you're the leader of china or a leader of russia do we take it at face value what he says and you would hope maybe they'd wait a few minutes until his aides can correct him but uh let's it's just not a good thing it's really not a good thing to have misstatements like that made in foreign policy so and the other side kept saying oh we're going to get stability and uh you know moderation and instead we've gotten a lot of confusion from this side and a disastrous economy so I think there'll be a a big judgment rendered, but it'll be rendered in November in the election.
0: Yeah, it'll be a political judgment. Senator Rand Paul, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Up next, we begin that deep dive into the mental fitness of America's commander in chief. Uh, We've put together a comprehensive look at it for you with some great, great guests, and we will be right back with that. now we begin a deep dive into President Biden's mental fitness. A recent poll from the Center for American Political Studies at Harvard University found a majority of Americans are concerned about the president's fitness for office. Some say it's not appropriate to question the president's mental ability, although most of those people likely had absolutely no problem doing that to President Trump. (laughs) However, we're talking about the leader of the free world, so it's fair game. We're going to tackle the political ramifications for the president and the Democrats, Uh, Is this a problem that the president's first major television interview since February uh, was addressed when he went on Jimmy Kimmel last night where, where he faced nothing but a slew of hard, tough hitting? Just kidding. They were all softball questions. Watch.
3: Can't you issue an executive order? Trump passed those out like Halloween candy. Yes, yeah, sure. yeah. well, I, I Isn't that something that could happen? Maybe it's just that Americans aren't as knowledgeable as they should be. Or maybe there's a, uh, a, a death star pumping false information into our Fox, brains. Right? Why are you so optimistic? Well, you have sensitive documents that you need to flush down the toilet. Do you do that? Is, he, is that done in your office
1: toilet? Or is that done in the bathroom, in the personal bathroom area? Why? Roe versus Wade. Boy, these
3: things just keep coming at you, don't they?
0: We're also going to speak with a doctor from UCLA who is a pioneer in brain health research. This is the real, the real expert. Uh, When he watches the clips of the president whispering, slurring, slipping on steps, what does he see? But first, as we all know, the president has long been known for his gaffes, slip ups, mistakes, bloopers, whatever you want to call them. But they've been there for a long time. We are prepared uh, to take you on a look back. I'll walk down memory lane at some of his most uncomfortable moments. There are way too many to get in a little package, but we've given you some highlights, uh, including some more recent ones, which have many asking, is our president okay?"
2: I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Do solemnly swear.
0: Joe Biden was 78 years old on January 20th, 2021, the oldest man ever to take the presidential oath of office one year older than Ronald Reagan when Reagan left office at 77. Long before that, though, Joe Biden was known for his gaffes. In 2006, then-Senator Biden faced widespread criticism, for example, when he stereotyped Indian Americans.
2: You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent.
0: He stepped in it again during his 2008 presidential race, when talking about then-Senator Barack Obama.
2: I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who was articulate and bright and, and, and clean.
0: Later, as Obama's vice president, he was caught on an open mic calling Obamacare a big effing deal and really turned heads with this remark. I promise
2: you the president has a big stick.
0: <laughs> During his 2020 race for president, he got angry at voters.
2: No, you haven't. You're a line dog faced pony soldier. You're a damn liar, man. If you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together.
0: And told stories people aren't exactly sure are um, well, true. And cornpop was a bad dude. But now, a year and a half into the most stressful job in the world, the uncomfortable moments have become more concerning. There's the bizarre whispering. I got them.
2: 1.9 trillion dollars relief so far. I wrote the bill. Pay them more. I think it's time to give ordinary people a tax break.
0: I'm your commander-in-chief. He was filmed slipping over and over again while trying to walk up the stairs of Air Force One and seemingly getting lost on his way back to the White House. In recent months, he has referred to Vice President Kamala Harris as President and First Lady. He confused the immigration policy, Title 42, with the mask mandate. He lost his train of thought and slurred during key remarks.
2: Much more informed on the um, the motives of um, some of the political players and some of the... We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy.
0: Yeah. Last November, the White House physician reported Biden is, quote, fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency. But many, including CNN chief medical correspondent Sanjay Gupta, who looked over Mr. Biden's medical report, noted it did not seem to include a cognitive test.
1: They mentioned neurological exam, but that was more in terms of testing motor strength and sensation and things like that. President Trump uh, had something known as the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. Um, it's sort of a screening test uh, for, for dementia. And um, you know, th- there was no mention of that sort of thing here.
0: In February, Congressman Ronnie Jackson, who served as White House physician under Presidents Trump and Obama, sent a letter to Mr. Biden stating, quote, your mental decline and forgetfulness have become more apparent over the past two years. Among other examples, the letter pointed to the moment when the president forgot the name of the Pentagon and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin.
2: I want to thank the, the, the uh, former
0: general, I keep calling him general, but my, my, uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there. Congressman Jackson is calling for the president to take a cognitive test and to release the results publicly.
4: Dr. O'Connor spent six pages talking about useless stuff that no one cares about and did not address the elephant in the room, which is, is this man cognitively fit to be our president?
0: In a recent New York Magazine article about Democrats quietly searching for an alternative to Joe Biden in 2024, top aides claimed the president has, quote, shown no signs of slowing down mentally. It's just his falling poll numbers they're worried about. And Mr. Biden himself has dismissed concerns when directly asked about this issue. Why do you suppose such large segments of the American
4: electorate have profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? I have no idea.
0: He has held few press conferences and only occasionally takes questions, and he's often holding pre-prepared cue cards for himself. His last formal sit-down interview with a news organization was in February, and when the president approached the press at this year's White House Easter egg roll, an aide dressed as the Easter Bunny ran interference, moving the president away from the reporters, and he listened. When the president does go off script, his comments can have major foreign policy consequences. In an out-of-the-blue ad-libbed remark at the end of a speech in March, Mr. Biden shocked the world when he said Russian President Vladimir Putin should be removed. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Forcing top White House aides to immediately, quote, clarify the president's comment. People like Senator Rand Paul say the fact that this president cannot clearly communicate U.S. foreign policy goes right to the heart of this issue.
1: Well, You know, a lot of times when you're around somebody who's in cognitive decline, you find yourself trying to help them with the sentence, trying to help them complete it and saying, oh, no, that's not what you really mean. Let me help you complete the sentence. Uh, But we shouldn't have to do that for the commander in chief. And it is actually a national security risk.
0: This country deserves a leader who is mentally fit. But do we have that? It's the duty of all Americans to ask that question, and they are entitled to answers. Joining me now, Rich Lowry editor-in-chief of National Review, and Ryan Grimm, Washington Bureau Chief for The Intercept. All right, guys, so great to have you here. Um, I think the package was really illuminating, right, on some of the highlights or lowlights, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and it's one thing, he, he's always been a gaff king, as we pointed out, but there's definitely something else happening now as you see him doing the word searches and you know, forgetting where he is and forgetting the name of, like, the Pentagon. like That's kind of a big one. Um, and I think a lot of people are genuinely alarmed. The polls show that. So, Rich, have you I mean, you've you've opined that this is worthy of looking into. Is is it pure politics, in your view, or is there actually something that could be potentially endangering the country?
5: Well, uh, obviously, it matters what the capacities are. The president of the United States. And I'm not a doctor. I'm curious what your doctor uh, will say but i have as many people have had you know personal experience with dementia and alzheimers with with a loved one and the key indicators are things like getting in fender benders all the time we don't know that right he's not driving a car not knowing who president of the united states is most of the time he's he's fine on that <laughs> and and really not just um forgetting but real confusion which maybe of times you've seen w- with with biden but you'd have to be closer to know so my diagnosis from a distance would be This is a 78 year old man. He's a 78 year old man and he's aging. And it it happens to all of us. Once you're over 50, how you struggle with with names. It happens to me all the time. I can just describe in great detail how someone looks, what their career has been. I can't come up with the name. And by the time you're nearly 80, that's gotten much worse. And he's in a job that has uh, incredible pressures that visibly ages people who are much younger and more robust. We remember W going gray. Barack Obama going gray, and this is a guy who's never, as you've pointed out, Megan, was never a clear and and very buttoned up communicator to begin with. So you put that all together, and it's a somewhat disturbing picture. I don't, I don't think necessarily he's an Alzheimer's patient, but it's it's deserve, disturbing. We all kind of see it, even though the media doesn't want to talk about it.
0: Ryan Rich is a good point that, given his job, he's kind of shielded from a lot of these symptoms that would show us if he's deteriorating in that way. And yet we still see it. So in other words, you know, driving the car, well, he doesn't have to do that. Most of his communications are filtered through staff, you know, through his aides. We don't get direct access to him. Um, Most of his public communications now are on prompter. So we don't actually have the full picture about his forgetfulness and his you know, ability to sort of pursue a linear thought. He's he gives precious few interviews. You know, the last one was to Lester Holt in February. This one is to Jimmy Kimmel, where, you know, it's going to be a joke. And indeed it was.
3: Yeah. And in fact, one one tiny uh, correction to Rich, who I agree with on the point of of the age, he's actually 79. He'll be 80. Uh, He'll be 80 in November. Uh, Mm -hmm. So and, and I think that that is, there you are. I'm over yeah. 50. I messed these details yeah, up. Yeah, see, time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, the point about the car is interesting, but I think Rich's point about the confusion is kind of a more interesting one. Like that that being a major symptom, and and you know none of us should really try to get too into the uh, di- diagnostic component mm. of this. But we're allowed
0: know, to because we're not we're not yeah. uh, doctors. <laughs> the doctors right, exactly. are the ones who have an ethical exactly. obligation to do it. That's just that's kidding. True. We're not trying. So I guess we we're should just to diagnose. We're just
5: yeah, it gives us permission to, to make a everything. really specific diagnosis. <laughs> yes.
3: <is the> <laughs> that's that. right. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, you know, like like he said, we haven't seen a ton of that type of concerning confusion. Uh, it, it's limited to you know here and there. Like, uh, is is he lost getting back into the White House or or something along those lines? Whereas more often you see the recall problems, which you know, which all of us you know, face as we get yeah. uh as we get older and and which he faced, you know, as a much younger person. Like like both of you have said, this has been a gaff prone clown of a politician for a very long time. It was the the joke about Biden for decades was was his was his gaffs. And so, you know, now now he's under that much more pressure and he's advanced in age that that many more decades. I think the the political question maybe is what do you do about it? And and to me, this is a This is a political question that therefore needs to be resolved by basically by the American people. And so through basically through elections, you know, during the Trump years, I I thought and I still continue to think that he's got issues. I don't necessarily (laughs) think that he's, you know, cognitively impaired in a traditional sense, but but you watch the guy talk and you're like that something's something's off there. But I never thought necessarily that that meant that he should then. So you know, be removed from office in a, in a kind of extra electoral way. And so I think that like that as a fundamental question, uh, is, is one that we have to ask. And I don't think you want, uh, you know, Congress or k- cabinets to start, uh, inter- intervening un- until it becomes, you know, so dangerous that all of our lives and the lives of, kind of the global population is at risk.
0: Well, I mean, there's some evidence we're inching there. You know, Trump did take a cognitive test. I think it's called. uh, So his and
3: his his talking about that cognitive test gave me no more confidence (laughs) in in, in him. But he kept bragging that he had aced this test was like, oh, yeah, Yeah, it was was one of the funniest things of the Trump years. Hearing you Talk about that. It's it's like my my I aced the cognitive test T-shirt.
1: Like you'll go person, woman. Man, camera, TV. So they say. Could you repeat that? So I said, "Yeah." So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay, that's very good. If you get it in order, you get extra points. If you, okay. Now he's asking you other questions, other questions, and then ten minutes, fifteen, twenty minutes later, they say. Remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question? Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go person, woman, man, camera, TV. I
0: think it was called the Montreal test. And he had to get like uh, over 26 out of 30 is passing. And Trump got 30 out of 30. And it's things like <laughs> draw a cube, um, draw like it, <laughs> there's something like. Um, Counting backwards from 100 by sevens, that's actually not that easy but, for some of us. But anyway, he aced it. But Biden hasn't taken that. Go ahead, Rich.
5: Yeah, it just in terms of the media hypocrisy, if you remember that incident when Trump was giving a speech, I believe it was at West Point and he walked gingerly down the ramp and it it looked it looked odd it looked weird but that drove like a major news cycle you know their new york times stories written about what's wrong with the president how why can't we get answers and he had this very funny riff about it at rallies where he just had new dress shoes that had a very shiny slick a leather bottom, and he was worried about the uh, this ramp the being slope. slippery. So he walks like really gingerly down it because he didn't want to fall down. <laughs> and, yeah. and he tells a story of calling Melania and saying, how do you like the speech? And she's like, are you okay? Do you, do you, know, what's, <laughs> you know what they're saying about you? <laughs> that you must have Parkinson's or some terrible condition. So obviously the double standard here is immense. But I agree with Ryan. You know, Ultimately, this is something for voters to decide. If you look at the way the 25th Amendment works, it's a nightmare it's completely unworkable it would be a, a desperate crisis for the country if that were ever invoked and I don't think it'd be plausibly invoked unless the president is is actually in a coma because you had the vice yes. president in the cabinet you know voting about whether he's still capable of being president and then he can object within four days and then they have to reconsider the question uh, and whether they're rejecting his objection and if they do reject his objection then it goes to Congress for a two-thirds vote it's just It's just a disaster of a a mechanism, so I can't see us ever, ever getting there. The question will be, does does Biden run again? And if he actually does, which a lot of people are kind of doubtful of, I am, how much this will figure into people's calculations about him?
0: He keeps saying he will run, and you know he's assuming he's in good shape. He says he'll he'll run if he if he feels the way he does now. Um, So we'll get to that in one second. Like, what are the Democrats going to do? Because they're definitely worried about. It's not just him, but his replacement, you know, they don't like their chances so much either way. Uh, but before we go there, can I ask you about this, Ryan? Like he he has made enough policy gaffes that you have to be a little worried. That's what Rand Paul was saying, that he's he's basically on the verge of causing a real foreign policy crisis with his loose lips and running mouth. Now, maybe the Joe Biden of 20 years ago would would have done the same. You could yeah. make that case. Right. But, you know, with the. um. Uh, we would respond in kind if if Putin unleashed a chemical a- attack uh, in Ukraine. Wait, no, we wouldn't. The United States would launch a chemical attack in right. Ukraine. I don't think we would. No. Um, you know, the statement he made about Taiwan and the Chinese. Wait, Well, that's a change in policy. Oh, no, it's not. Well, yes, it is, because we, normally we sort of stayed in a neutral, ambiguous place. And you were clearly saying we're going to send troops in if they go into Taiwan. Um, and then there was uh, the statement about uh Putin ought to be kicked out. Right. Like regime change, which are definitely not in favor of, at least not openly. And um, all those things are those are sketchy things. And there's a bunch of them.
3: And I think your your point about would Biden of 20 years ago be making these same gaps is, is an interesting one. And I think the answer is yes. Like, I think mm. this is who this is who Biden has long been. If you if you watch, you know, when he was chairing, you know, uh, either the Foreign Affairs Committee, or Foreign Relations Committee, or the or chairing judiciary, like you know, he he would just say things that were just kind of off the wall. Now he's the president, Uh, and so his off his off the wall remarks could have global implications. But the the globe now has you know what six years of experience in pausing after an American president speaks and asking the question of does this represent a change in policy (laughs) or is this just an American president popping off? Uh, That's not the, that's not a good way to run an empire by any stretch of the imagination, but at least the other countries, you know, have had that experience. And now with, you know, with Biden, I think that all of the other world leaders are going to, you know, they're not going to instantly react uh, to something that, that he says Mm -hmm. Uh, just, just the way that they, they were not reacting instantly uh, to president Trump, they would be back channeling, you know, to their counterparts, either state or defense and saying, Hey, so the president just tweeted this, you know, what, what does that, what does that mean? Whereas in Biden's case, it's just, you know, Biden just, you know, said this, um, uh, you know, this, this impromptu thing at a press conference, what does, what does that mean? Uh, and so, like I said, neither of those ways are, you know, desirable, at, to run a yeah. to run a foreign policy. Well, Trump, operation, Trump was like a I loose
0: cannon. But but right. Biden, you know, you just wonder if he's all there. So it's like one guy's just impulsive and threatening in a way that may or may not be real. And then you got the other guy who is is just he may not be all there. Rich Jim Garrity over at National Review had a uh, bit in his morning jolt the other day that raised this point, And I thought it was a great one. So we did a montage of it. But One of the other things that could be provocative to foreign leaders. okay, I get Ryan's point of like they'll double check before they bomb us before they think we're bombing them. But weakness invites weakness is provocative, too, if they don't think he's all there. Like we saw that with Afghanistan, that weakness provoked, you could argue, Ukraine and so on. And what's up with the. I'm not allowed to take questions. I'm not supposed to be taking questions. I shouldn't be talking to you when dealing with just the American media, which are a lot less scary than Putin. Um, here's a little montage. This is soundbite five. are bad. I'm not supposed to
2: be answering all these questions. I'm supposed to leave. Yeah. I'm not going to answer any more questions. Afghanistan.
5: Would it be okay if we just have a couple of, of questions? Just a just a just a couple. Uh, a Good luck. We're gonna,
2: just the last question I'll take, and I, I'm really going to be in trouble. The reason we're not going to have any time for questions now is these guys got to get quickly on the plane and go out and do a major announcement in Ohio, and you guys will ask me all about Russia and not about anything having to do with chips. I'm not, I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead.
0: Mr. President, on
2: Afghanistan? I'm not going to answer
5: Afghanistan now. Can you
0: say per- I mean, <laughs> to Jim's point...
5: Yes, a classic instance of reading his stage directions out loud. And they clearly they want to minimize access to him for fear of what he'll say. And he's messed up scripted remarks where he's gone off script and said something, you know, that we want Putin to go. That's not. U.S. policy. And per Ryan's point, it is bizarre that twice running now, we've had U.S. presidents who haven't reliably spoken to what U.S. policy is necessarily. Mm -hmm. That's not a good situation. But the lack of sit-down, long sit-down interviews with with mainstream legacy reporters, it it, it all goes to the fear of what he'll say. You know, The Easter Bunny was right. We saw the Easter Bunny in real time, (laughs) steering him away from reporters, get back here with the kids and just do the role, don't talk to anyone. And I think the Easter Bunny's instincts suffuse the entirety of this, this White House staff. And another thing that's really notable is not just necessarily the cognitive decline, but the Jimmy Kimmel interview, whether a moment or two there really you know, would have you concerned. But the rest of it, what comes across is just the this, this sense of frail. I mean, he, he, again, he's an old man. He's an old man in a job that's incredibly punishing, that requires great reservoirs of mental, intellectual, and physical energy. And, and you know, whatever his actual mental state is, clearly that at age 79, that's not what it was at age 59. and it, it is getting depleted as we speak.
0: Mm-hmm. I always think about my mom. God love her. She's listening. So uh, forgive me, mom. Mm-hmm. But she's 80. She's basically his age. And um, she, she can't remember names at all. She always laughs like, um, uh, you know, the thing, you know what I mean? I mean, that thing, that thing that like, well, you tell me what I mean, what I because she wants me to tell her what she means. And I usually can. But my mom's not leader of the free world, so it's fine. Um, we had a funny thing. She, I have my my dog, my bad, bad dog, Strudwick. He's sweet, but he's bad. And she cannot remember his name, which I'll give her. That's a tough one, Strudwick. She calls him Shruti or Schroeder or Slut or what. <laughs> she can't. And um, she was visiting for Mother's Day. And our housekeeper has been with us forever. I love her. Her name is Carla. Um, she was there and she's helping me with my mom. And my mom's like, oh, get Strudwick out of the way. I said, mom. You did it. You got it. Good <laughs> for you. How'd you get it? She goes, um, oh, Carmen help me.
5: What's the derivation of where does Strudwick come from?
0: You know what? My husband's uh, like uncle or great uncle. I can't remember which was a guy named Strud Nash. And he, he played for Carolina back in like the 30s or the 40s. And he went by Strud Nash, the Carolina Flash. <laughs> and we we're like, that's too good not to recycle. So we stole it for our dog and uh, much to my mother's uh, lamentation. In any event, uh, thank God my mom has no access to the nuclear codes. And it doesn't matter whether she calls Carla Carmen or Stradwick slutty. (laughs) It's it's not going to hurt anybody. Uh, The president, different story. I'm going to pause you guys there because we have so much more to go over. I really do want to get your take on the total media blackout almost. I mean, it seems that way about this assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh, too. Uh, and I know you guys have been covering that cl- uh, carefully. So we're going to pick it up there and we're going to get much more uh, into depth on the president and what this means for Democrats in 2024 right after this, when Rich Lowry and Ryan Grimm stay with us. And remember, folks, you can find The Megyn Kelly Show live on SiriusXM XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east and the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel, youtube.com. Slash Megan Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, go over there, follow us, and download the show on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and give us a five star rating and leave a comment uh, in the Apple comments section. I read them all. You guys were fired up about that guest, uh, Jason from the All In podcast the other day. He continues to tweet about the interview. He's an angry person. Anyway, check it out. Check out our full archives with more than 330 shows. He goes on Jimmy Kimmel last night, and as we played before, he's asked no tough questions, but there certainly were awkward moments. To me, it seemed like he delivered his sort of standard lines that he delivers all the time. Fine. Uh, but when he actually had to think, you could see the same stumbling blocks that we've been showing the audience and talking about now for the past hour. And here is one painful example. No so, question about it. So there's a it.
2: lot of major things we've done, but what we haven't done is we haven't been able to communicate it in a way that is, uh, um, let me say it another way. Well, see, that's kind of perfect. Yeah, well, we haven't been able to communicate But, it but look like how that. the press has changed. Mm-hmm. Look how the press is It has changed. Oh, listen, it, it, I, I get it. I know you get, you overstand it. Yep. You don't just understand it, you overstand <laughs> it. But here's the deal. One of the things is that it's very difficult now to have a, um, even with, with notable exceptions, even the really good reporters, they have to get the number of clicks on on, the, on nightly news. Mm-hmm. So instead of asking a question, anyway, it just, everything gets gets sensationalized. And ways, that, but I'm convinced we can get through this. We have to get through it. And one of the things, look- I'm gonna take a break and then we'll talk a little bit more.
0: Thank God, thank God he took a break, right? It was like, throw the guy a lifeline. That's how you wind up feeling a lot when you listen to Joe Biden, Rich.
5: Yeah, and and for a second there, he sort of thought Kimmel, was he making fun of him when he, when he said, oh yeah, communication. Yeah, <laughs> you can mm-hmm. see how that's an issue, but he was trying to throw him a lifeline. And yeah, this this was the single worst minute clip from that interview. And again, it just goes to there's some element of decline there, whatever the cause, whatever the reason, maybe it's just just age. But it's it's cringe inducing to watch. And if you're a human being, it makes you feel a little sorry for yeah. Joe Biden.
0: Well, I should point out that my mom does not have Alzheimer's and she doesn't have dementia. You know, she just has normal aging uh, as an 80 year old person. So he does sound like her. So maybe he doesn't have any, you know, disease of the mind either. We'll get into that a little bit more when our doctor, I mean, like he, this is the dementia doctor who's joining us today. But in that one clip, Ryan, he lost track of what he was saying. He made an abrupt shift to try to recover. He used the wrong word. He lost track again. He meandered through his next thought. He lost track yet again. And then he was saved by the anchor and it it was hard to watch and back to my point of like no confidence we're not the only ones watching this we have some really some really nasty enemies out there who are trying to assess right now what they can get away with right like people in china <laughs> and uh i worry about the perception of this guy as our leader
3: i think there's plenty of cause for worry but i don't think that's it like i don't think the chinese sense of the united states is that if we have a president who's asleep, at the switch, that they're going to be able to just sneak into Taiwan. Like, I think that they're very much aware that the kind of military industrial complex, the kind of entire what, what, what Trump would call the deep state, you know, there is an apparatus at work that has contingency plans for whatever China is going to attempt when it mm. comes to uh, Taiwan that does not require you know, Biden to watch it unfold and sit there and devise a strategy. You know, what what they're going to do in an event like that, for instance, is they're going to put two or three scenarios in front of him, and as Rich knows, this is how it works with Trump this is how it works with Obama, and they're gonna say, here are our three plans, which one of these do you choose? And you know the two of them are going to be absurd trying to like push them into the one that the military wants to do anyway so and I think China understands that, so I don't think that it it's creating those types of uh national national security concerns mm-hmm. uh, but i i but i do think i i think people and voters particularly are are looking at this and aren't seeing anybody in charge because you know, the the federal government has been stripped of a lot of its you know capacity to kind of uh you know to perform the way that it used to you know under say the kind of new deal coalition but people still want to feel like there is somebody in charge, somebody who has ideas, somebody who's, who's trying things. Janet Yellen is effectively not a public Treasury Secretary. You don't, ever, you don't really ever hear from her. The moments you do, it's a, it's a huge exception. Uh, and so if, if you don't have the President, and if you don't have the Treasury Secretary out there talking about the economy, talking about what they're trying to do when it comes to gas prices, talking about what they're trying to do when it comes to the economy, then it becomes left to say Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, you know neither of whom are are you know in your living rooms every day, and neither of whom are necessarily you know the most adept communicators either, so I think that that domestically it probably causes a bigger problem uh, for biden than than internationally because i i, I don 't think that foreign governments are going to think that they can necessarily get away you know pull one over on the kind of military and national security apparatus of the United States just because Uh, the the president, uh, you know, is having a hard time piecing Mm. sentences together on Jimmy. Well, it
0: may require more, more explicit statements like, oh, well, a minor incursion would be one thing. I mean, you know, like that you could make Mm -hmm. a pretty strong case that that was very interesting to President Putin and led in part to his decision to actually go in. I don't know. Um, But, you know, it may not just be the weakness like we saw in Afghanistan. It may be that coupled with a
3: which would that's, just, that's an unusual policy. willingness
0: right. to, to to telegraph something like that, which we normally wouldn't say because we would know right. exactly the effect it would have, and then no amount of walking it back is is going to have the the right effect on somebody like Putin. Um, let me pause it there because I, I do want to get back to that idea of what's it what's it doing domestically. Uh, Charlie Cook had an interesting thought about this. I'll ask you about, but before I do that, while we're on the subject of Kemmel, not one question on the attempted assassination of a sitting Supreme Court justice. Rich, not. One, and that mirrors what we've seen from the press largely today. Do you think it was the lead uh, this morning on the morning shows? You'd be wrong. Nope, it wasn't. It took, uh, according to News NewsBusters, they the, the morning shows collectively spent 25 minutes on January 6th. They spent eight minutes on Justice Kavanaugh. Our January 6th, which happened two years ago, that they're they're on that for 25 minutes. The damn hearing hasn't even happened yet. We don't even have any news from the hearing. Uh, And eight minutes on Kavanaugh. CBS and NBC didn't even mention it until after the 10-minute marks of the show. Far from being the lead, it didn't even make the A block. Um, And similar on on the print media. The New York Times, not one story on the front page of today's New York Times on the attempted assassination of Brett Kavanaugh. Can you imagine if this were Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Sonia Sotomayor, this is insane. There's a footnote saying see a twenty for the the story. You go to a twenty. It's a small article. Uh, articles that were longer. And there's one. Um, a journalist goes deep into Amazon, into the Amazon, and a deadly Korean ferry accident gets more coverage in the Times than this. <laughs> what do you make of that?
5: It's astonishing. You know, I, I was going to tweet yesterday. <clears throat> you know, the the Brett Kavanaugh. A news cycle is going to disappear as quickly as the Brooklyn subway shooter uh, news cycle because subway shooter, you know, he, he said things about race and anti white things that just don't play into a narrative. And the media wasn't going to be interested in, in talking about. But then I was distracted by writing a column from Twitter. So uh, my job distracted me from Twitter y- yet again. <laughs> but then when I actually logged on last night, I was, there was no Brett Kavanaugh news cycle. It It didn't even it was barely a ripple all day long you know cnn it was you gotta you you had to scroll down you know six inches to to get to it same thing in the new york times uh home and obviously as you point out didn't show up in the front page of print and this is an enormous an enormous deal and it should play into the same you would think that the same things that that make january 6 you know if january 6 is a big story for the media this is the same type of thing violation of norms you have this this leak that's a flagrant violation of practices and tradition at the Supreme Court. Political violence targeting one of our institutions, you know, guys showing up to um, with the intention, at least initially, to assassinate uh, Brett Kavanaugh and then lies spinning out of control. The idea that if the court overturns Roe, you know, there'll be no abortion rights in in all of America ever again. But it just doesn't have the same ideological and political valiance as January 6th did. Uh, So it doesn't it doesn't show up. And again, maybe we've talked about this again and again and again, but it continues to be repeatedly true. This is just another um, way that the credibility of the mainstream legacy media is uh, just eroded away before our eyes.
0: I realize that The New York Times not putting this on the front page and it not being the lead or even one of the top stories on the, the major net's Ryan, that's a big deal. And that Jimmy Kimmel is a lesser deal. But you have the sitting president of the United States for the first time in four months giving an interview. And it's the day most people who even have a toe in news. Oh, cute cat. Um, most people who even have a toe in it, right? Never mind technically work at an organization that has a massive news organization, ABC, would be would be chomping at the bit. To ask him about the day of news, like, oh, my God, there there was a there was an attempted assassination. Like, that's that's the first question we're going to ask him. Not one. You heard the questions about the toilet paper, or like shoving papers down the toilet. Is that and I played you the nonsense meandering one. It's such a dereliction.
3: I mean, you could even ask a softball question like you wouldn't even have to be a tough one. It's just raising that you could just raise the question and say you know what's what's your response to this uh so yeah i mean you know I'm, like like you said uh, jimmy kimmel is not a journalist and you know we're not here to really lecture him on his journalism but it is i think it is instructive and and i also think it's fair to compare it to the news coverage around the plot um to kidnap gretchen whitmer mm-hmm. like that that got a ton of coverage um and so you know there there's an initial impulse to say well Plots are foiled all the time. People, you know, pop off and do crazy things, and and nothing happens. And you can't cover every non-event that becomes a non-event. But that that one um, was a non-event because you know it was rolled up and they were arrested, and nothing happened. And we we saw enormous amount of you know press attention paid to it, and then and then we learned later that you know uh, federal agents or federal assets played you know a huge role in kind of instigating the, you know, the, the nudge toward, toward this plotting, which, which was kind of a playbook that they had developed with, uh, uh, is Islamic extremists and, you know, vi- you know, who, who were not necessarily violent, uh, were more likely just kind of mentally ill or deranged. And you have FBI assets or agents come in and say, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we blew up this bridge? Uh, and they, and you know, you, you, you dig even deeper into these and they, and you see the people pushing back the whole time, and and raising reasons why they might not do it, and you see the FBI assets or agents overcoming those. There was even one case where they're like, "Well, we don't even have any money." He's like, "Well, I'll lend you the money, mm. uh, and I'll lend you the money, and I have a guy who will supply you." So here's the money. Here's the thing. Just say yes, please. In this like in, in this text chain, so that we can, you know, then then I'll round you up. And anyway, that's a that's a, that's that's a different story. But
0: well, that's why there was no conviction.
3: Some of them were convicted, right? Because they. They weren't all they didn't all need to be kind of nudged into it. But the point is, it it got an immense amount of coverage um, compared to compared to this so far. And maybe that maybe this will be one of those stories that bubbles and and then later boils as they learn more, or we we might just not hear anything more about it.
0: I don't know, Rich. I thought I tried to give the media the benefit of the doubt and said, okay, I realize this guy's obviously very troubled. He was going to kill himself. He turned himself in. You know, he called nine one one saying, "I'm suicidal and I, and homicidal." Um, I, that doesn't that doesn't excuse this. Anybody who goes to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice is mentally unwell. The fact that he was that he made the call to actually tell nine one one what he was about to do doesn't make this a non-story. I mean, that's a that's a decision in a moment that could have gone the other way, and Justice Kavanaugh could potentially be dead or worse. His family, you know. Who knows? It, that does not make this a non-story. It is still the lead in any respectable news organization.
5: Yeah. I mean, uh, when, when is the last time we talked about a Supreme Court justice potentially being assassinated or having an s- assassination attempt? And it, it obviously is a, a function of this larger pressure campaign that has been waged against the conservative justices who presumably um, could be part of a, a five vote majority to overturn Roe and is of a piece of publishing the addresses of showing up at their homes to, to, to demonstrate. So it's, it's a story. It, it's, it's whatever you make of it, you know, whether you want to be dismissive of it or more alarmed by it, it's a story, it's news. And again, we have news organizations that uh, r- routinely uh, ignore Um, stories that you'd think would be newsworthy, which is one reason we've seen such proliferation of other sources of news to to fill the gap because they leave so much on the table.
0: Mm. Okay, back to President Biden. There was uh, I think it was a tweet from Charles C.W. Cook of National Review, Ryan, and he wrote the following. The economy can change. Foreign policy can shift. Perceptions of the opposing party can deteriorate. But once people think you're old and mentally unfit, you're toast. And that brings us back to the domestic problem. We addressed briefly the international problem of President Biden's, you know, misstatements, gaffes, et cetera. But this is uh, this is something different, right? This is what do Democrats think of this? What do Republicans and really, most importantly, what do independents think of what they're seeing?
5: Sorry, I'm trying to stop my daughter from making her uh, first appearance in the Megyn Kelly. (laughs) Oh, yes, we want her. (laughs) We got a cat. We got a kid. I'm sure (laughs)
0: I'll go get I'll go get. My little slutty <laughs> to come. Yeah,
5: exactly. Here. We've had a cat, a child. Let's let's get the dog in. Let's
0: get um, Squidwick in.
5: So I think it, when we go to Ryan's point, it, uh, when you're president, you have to appear in charge, right? There was a, a old. Model of presidency the 19th century pre-media, you know, multimedia, mass media age where no, no one heard heard you, but no one barely knew what you looked like except for pictures on.
0: There she is. This is exciting. <laughs> for
5: pictures on on posters. Um, but this is a different time, and there was a shift you know that started with Tr where the president had to be the big man and and he, he was the guy with the, the bully pulpit, and he was using it, and you're hearing from him all the time and just I, th- I think Biden has trouble filling that stage now uh, the the way he is and there's also just one one last thing on this another f- disturbing function of age is that you you get stuck in certain grooves of thinking, certain ways of thinking, and that Jimmy Kimmel uh, clip, for instance, when he talks about getting clicks on the nightly news, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is a guy who's thought about the nightly news being the thing for, for his entire adult life. So even when he's thinking about the new media environment, that's the way he expresses it in the old way. It's like a, an old man's way of talking about the new media environment. But I think we've seen this uh, with Afghanistan, where he's like, Obama got ruled by his generals. I'm not getting rolled by mine. I don't care what they say. And boom, I'm just stuck in, stuck in this way of thinking, it doesn't matter how it's working out. This is this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Trump did bad things at the border. I'm reversing it all. doesn't matter what the consequences are or I'm not going to adjust. This is just what it's going to be. We didn't spend enough, supposedly, on the stimulus in the Obama years right after the financial crisis. So we got to go really big, ignore any concerns about going big. And he did it with the, the COVID relief bill. So there, there's a certain... Ah, uh, brittleness and staleness in your thinking, which, you know, we're all subject to, we all tend to fight the last war, but I think it's pronounced particularly pronounced with this president.
0: You know, Ryan, I th- first of all, I, I thought it was very interesting to hear Jimmy Kimmel mention all, all the executive orders Trump did Uh, I'm old enough to remember Obama's pen and his phone. So spare me, okay? because he really was a a king like president for the last two years there once he lost control of Congress and his second term got bad for him. In any event, um, I'd love to. I'm sure somebody's gone and and compared the numbers. But um, on the subject of whether this behavior is going to cost Joe Biden politically, there's you know, you can read the tea leaves in the polls. Uh recent polling from Harvard Harris poll for this is from last month, May. Is he mentally fit to serve as president uh, or do you have doubts? Fifty three percent have doubts. Uh, and that mirrors something from October of twenty twenty one. Same thing. Fifty three percent had doubts. Uh, new polling from independents in that same poll. Sixty one percent of the independents have doubts that he is fit to serve in office. Sixty two percent say he is too old to be president. Um, 72% of Im- independents, he is too old to be president. In uh, March of 2022, the Wall Street Journal uh, asked folks if they think he's going to run for office. A majority, 52%, say he's not going to run for reelection. So the, the public faith in his wellness is not there.
3: I, but I th- think that two things. One, much of it depends on how people feel like the how people feel like things are going like he hasn't gotten noticeably worse since the summer of 2021. And his approval rating was well above 50 in the wake of the American rescue plan and and heading into, uh, Afghanistan. And secondly is the partisan polarization. Uh, people can believe all of those things if he, and I think one of the reasons that he might uh, decide to run is that if you put him up against Trump, people might still believe those things, and a lot of them are going to say, well, you know what? Either mm. so is Trump or he's or he's better than Trump. Mm-hmm. And you, Ron Klain actually uh, ha- had a very telling, I thought, uh, post on Twitter Cheety right staff. after Macron won re-election uh, in, in France. Yeah. He said something like, well, would you look at that? A guy with a 30% approval rating wins a resounding re-election because the public hated his opponent. And so he basically said out loud what... Yeah. what the Democrats' strategy is in a presidential year which is to say that the other side is awful and so whatever you may think of us um but you know vote vote for us but the the first point is key too if he if he can get the economy you know going again uh, if he can get if if we can stop having uh you know global you know food and fuel crises uh then i think people's perception of him will will actually improve despite even if his you know kind of apparent cognitive abilities don't improve
0: but that's like saying well you know if you could just get rid of your cancer i prena- i will pronounce you well like he's- you can
3: you can end this you can end, you can end wars uh you know you can there are things you can do
0: but he's um, not going to be able to end inflation or these gas prices unless he in, institutes a dramatic well, shift in policy
3: well uh, probably not because mohammed bin salman is dedicated to regime change here in the united states Uh, But (laughs) after after the Republicans take over the House, uh, then MBS has no reason to continue jacking up gas prices. And Mm. so I expect you actually will see prices come down substantially after the after the midterms, because that's that's really what is what is driving them. Uh, And if you if you can get a resolution, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if you did get a resolution to the war and you got gas and wheat and, and manure and other commodities flowing again, uh then you 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 could you could see things moving in a in a positive direction but then come 2024 mohammed bin salman still has his hand on the spigot doesn't want democrats in power so i think you could probably expect to pay 5 or 6 dollars a gallon again in 2024 so that he can encourage you to bring jared kushner his his pri- <laughs> his private equity man back into the uh white house
0: rich do you want to take that
3: well, I, I think there's obviously
5: something to the fact that if, if gas were a buck fifty a gallon right now, you know his, his approval rating would be five points higher or, or yeah. something like that. Whatever, no matter how bad he sounded on on Jimmy Kimmel. So I think the things Democrats got to bank on. I, I can't see in any way they turn around the the midterms. Court overturns Roe. I do think that'll be a, a big deal, but. But won't change the fundamental trajectory. It, it'll sort of be bake, baked into the cake. You know, after three weeks of intense debate about it, you know, we'll realize the blue states are going to still have legal abortion. The red states are going to uh, have some some form of bans, and probably popular in the red states. It's gonna be hard to scare the blue states based on what the red states are doing when nothing's changing on the ground there. So they're going to lose the House. They're very likely going to lose the Senate. And then, you know that that's. Typical, right? That's that's what happens, and then you're the incumbent president, and you hope the the uh, other side in Congress overreaches, which isn't crazy. It's it's happened before, and then you hope with the passage of time, just uh, events kind of bounce in your favor. And I think Biden bears responsibility for a lot of things that have gone wrong, but not obviously not totally. You know, he didn't invade Ukraine. You know, he didn't create the pandemic that's created the supply chain uh disruptions so so maybe things things uh point up and then he's running against Trump and that would be kind of a jump ball election on the other hand you know gdp growth first quarter negative 1.5%. i mean it's 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 some significant chance next year by next year we'll have a recession and it'll look even worse. so you know, i don't discount some sort of bounce bounce back but uh it's 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 far from inevitable.
0: Mm Hmm. Meantime, Democrats internally are talking loudly, and now even to the press about what's the backup plan. What if what if he does continue to deteriorate uh, mentally, and or just in the polls? (laughs) What's the backup plan? Right. Like what what are the scenarios? There was a piece in New York Magazine about a week or two ago. That's literally called. There has to be a backup plan. There's a backup plan, right? And they are mentioning people like Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey who barely won his reelection race. How's he gonna be the savior? Uh, of course, Pete Buttigieg, AOC. Is she even 35? Can she even do it? I don't even know. She, w-
3: she, w- she would be by the election. Oh my
0: God, God but help no, us. I,
3: but that's not, like, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> okay. <anything>. I think <laughs> okay. it'll happen in our lifetimes, but not,
0: not this Bernie night. Sanders, Amy Klobuchar. Wasn't she already, were not half these people already rejected the last time? You know, what lady who was like, did did she eat her salad with a fork? I don't remember. <laughs> not a fork, a comb, a, a comb. comb. A fork would be normal. She mm-hmm. used the fork to stab her staffers. No, you can't, no, no. In New York City,
5: you can't eat pizza with a fork, but you can, yes. can't eat yourself. You get kicked
0: out. You get kicked right out. In any event, these do not seem to me, Ryan, like the saviors that uh, New York Magazine thinks they are. But what would be the backup plan if Biden continued to go south in one of those departments?
3: I mean, you could throw Jay Inslee in there, uh, who, who's you know very interesting governor, uh, but like you said, like we we roughly know you know what the terrain would be based on the last election. It's not a particularly strong bench, and most of them, like Sanders, for instance, has said that he would consider running again, um, despite his age and despite having run twice, but only if Biden doesn't run, and that's that's how most of the Democrats. Are are talking about it, and the the only exceptions would be say somebody who who might run on a uh, basically a messaging campaign to kind of pull the you know make sure that all the issues are being discussed in a primary. Yeah, the Green Party. Right, but they would run run in the primary just to get. I mean, that was basically why Sanders ran in twenty sixteen because nobody else was running, and he wanted somebody to talk about Medicare for All and climate and, and the things that he and that he that he cared about. But you're right that there you know there isn't there isn't much of a bench. Um, on the on the Democratic side,
0: I mean the the biggest candidate that we didn't mention happens to be the sitting vice president, Rich. You know, he's a, like yeah. there's a couple scenarios there. He could he could step down before the end of his term so that she was the sitting president when she had to run. Um, He could just say I'm tired, and I'm kind of old, and I'm just going to pass the baton to her. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it'd still have to be a primary. He doesn't get to deign. Yeah. You know, like just decide who his successor is. But the Democrats would be in a very tough position getting rid of, you know, the the sitting vice president who happens to be a person of color and a woman.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So the way I look at it, if something happens where Biden is no longer president prior to the end of his term and Kamala Harris becomes president, there'll be no primary. And she's she's a candidate in 2024. If Biden just says he's not going to run again, I think there would be a very open race. And I think she'd be in a, a weak position. She's just not um, you know, stronger than, than last time around, obviously being sitting vice president. But you know, she's 30 percent approval on a lot of polls. That's a that's a rate you get when you've you botched some major policy initiative or you've had some scandal. She hasn't done either of those things. Just pe- people just don't like her. You know, she just doesn't seem to have uh, the touch. And I doubt that, you know, when, when you don't, that usually doesn't change. So I, I would see her having a hard time winning a, an open uh, Democratic nomination battle. But just the the alternatives here are so unpalatable. There's a real desire to believe that uh, or hope that Biden can can run again in 24. And I'm just I'm just doubtful for some of the reasons we've we've talked about. How, however bad he is now, it's not going to get better uh, two and a half years from now. So um, and just the last point. In, in terms of the the plan, like, you know, we saw in the, the New York magazine piece, you, you cited in its headline, there is no plan. There's we're, we're so beyond parties planning. Right. No one's in charge anymore. The voters are in charge. You know, they decide and there's no smoke filled rooms. If there are rooms without smoke and some, you know, Perrier on the on the table, some <laughs> bottled water. And even what anyone's discussing in those tables, there's there's no way you can guarantee the voters are actually going to buy it and go along. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Warning. I will say this, Ryan. Um, there's no way they're, they're, this Democratic Party is booting Kamala Harris for Jay Inslee or Phil Murphy. I mean, if they go with like the straight white guys, I'm not sure. I don't think they can get away with that, given the way they talk about identity.
3: We'll see. The you know, the, it's a thing. Things are evolving on the question of uh, identity and identity politics, and we don't know where we'll be in twenty twenty four. I I think you're, I think she would get a primary, even if she is by some crisis uh, sitting president, uh, because it's an she has shown herself to be a weak candidate, that she's shown herself to be beatable, and if there's a weak beatable candidate who's the only one on the ticket. There's just so much ambition out there that somebody's somebody serious, I think, would take a run at that and I think would very quickly find themselves neck and neck with her. Mm. Uh, so so I do think I do think it's quite possible, actually. And it could even I, I don't know if it would be a Jay Inslee type. I don't know if they'd be able to overcome that identity question, but it's not impossible. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out.
0: Well, it may be it may be Biden's last best hope to lose the Congress uh, in these midterms so that some of his more extreme agenda is slowed down and the anger dissipates a bit on, on, you know, in particular amongst independents. Rich and Ryan, very interesting discussion. Such a pleasure. Thank Thank you for being here. Take
5: care. Up next, an
0: internationally recognized expert on brain health, on dementia, on Alzheimer's, What should we be looking for? I mean, forget Joe Biden. What about us? What should we be looking for to know what the early signs are? And guess what? There actually is something that we can do about it. We have been discussing the mental fitness of President Biden. It's a serious topic that requires serious people. So we have brought in a world-renowned expert on the topic of brain health. Dr. Dale Bredesen is currently a professor at UCLA, and he is truly a pioneer in this field. Doc, great to have you here. Thank you for coming on.
4: Great to be here, Megan. Thank you.
0: Um, So this is this is so interesting to me because we were just talking in the last segment about how it's tough to say with the sitting president, whether it's Biden or Trump or anybody, how well they're doing cognitively because they have so many filters between them and us, right? Like the teleprompter and a team of people that controls their communications. So it's, we start off sort of doing this with one hand tied behind our backs.
4: Right, that's absolutely right. Uh, And as you're aware, there's also the Goldwater Rule, uh, which, which states that psychiatrists are not permitted to make a diagnosis on someone that they have not personally evaluated. And of course, that applies for other physicians, such as neurologists, when you're talking about something like cognitive decline. So the best you can do, as you indicated, is to look for, you know, are are there patterns? Are there there concerns? You certainly cannot make a diagnosis.
5: That's correct.
0: And we we are not asking you to do that. We wouldn't ask you to do that. But can you tell us what what signs would you look at? You know, if I came to you and I said this is these are the symptoms that my mom is having. What would you be interested in knowing?
4: Yeah, that's a great point. And as you indicated earlier, it's something that we all should be thinking about. And this is why we recommend, you know, just as we all know that when we turn 50, we should get a colonoscopy. When we turn 45, or if we're already past 45, we should all get a cognoscopy, some basics to evaluate, because you're, as you indicated earlier, there's a tremendous amount that you can do. But here's the thing, when you are developing Alzheimer's, and it takes about 20 years from the beginning of the pathophysiology to a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. So as you're aware, President, uh, President Reagan, who had so many huge victories, Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, diagnosed in 1994, uh, is likely to have the beginning of the changes in his brain in 19, about 1974, statistically. Uh, and therefore, you know, has served a wonderful presidency, likely with Alzheimer's the entire time. Wow. So what you want to look for when people are getting Alzheimer's, uh, they go through four phases, but they, they present ultimately in two ways. About two thirds pre- present what we call amnestically so in other words the big problem is that they have trouble learning new information they may remember their first grade teacher but they may not remember what they had for breakfast the other about one third it's a non-amnestic presentation and so what they typically find is they have troubles with organization They have troubles with recognition, they have troubles with calculation, or they have troubles with word finding. And these are people that will say they have trouble with uh, working a new iPhone, for example, or having trouble organizing things at their job, or having trouble putting sentences together. Um, So those are the things that you tend to look for, uh, whether it's amnestic, whether it's non-amnestic. Those are the things that you want to keep an eye out for.
0: So I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, that's every old person. You know, every old person's got all that stuff that you just listed. Is that true?
4: I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, this is just like when people said, you know, there's this thing called pre-diabetes. And then before that, you have insulin resistance. And well, just about everyone in the U.S. has insulin resistance. This is really telling us this is the new era of medicine where we understand far ahead Of a diagnosis of one of these complex chronic illnesses, such as Alzheimer's disease or diabetes, that there are changes that we are missing and that we haven't been looking at as physicians in the years leading up. So you're right, many people complain about memory disorders or about problems finding the right word for years. However, everybody knows someone who's 80, 90, often even 100, who's sharp as a tack. And so the reality is what we call Alzheimer's disease, which of course has ballooned in the last 50 years or so, really should be a rare condition. And if we all are looking early on and getting appropriate evaluations and looking at the potential contributors to cognitive decline, we should not be seeing that. And in fact, people should be staying sharp just as you are.
0: I've, I'm 51. I've never been... I didn't know I, would, I was supposed to go for a cognitive test. So how does one even do that? Who does one call?
4: That's a great point. Uh, so you can start with your physician, of course. Uh, and you can look and ask your physician for a cognoscopy or for an evaluation. And basically, it's just three things. There's a series of blood tests So you want to know if you have ongoing systemic inflammation, for example. You want to know if you have some glycotoxicity, glucose problems, do you have insulin resistance, do you have prediabetes, do you have abnormalities in hormones such as thyroid hormone, do you have abnormalities in nutrients such as vitamin D. Do you have any vascular disease or propensity to vascular disease? So that's the first piece, which is blood testing. The second piece then uh, is to have a uh, is to have a, a simple cognitive test, and that can actually be done online in about thirty minutes, pretty easy to do. So you want to see where you stand because, You know, as you can imagine, many people have begun to lose a little bit and they don't really realize that this really does sneak up on people. So you want to know where you stand. And then the third piece is if you're having symptoms or if you're having problems, uh, if you've scored poorly, for example, on the test, then you also want to have an MRI with volumetrics. So you want to be looking at your hippocampal volume. Here, this is an area heavily affected even early in Alzheimer's disease. You want to look at your gray matter volume and your temporal lobe, your parietal lobe, frontal lobe, occipital lobe, those sorts of things. Uh, so that's it's relatively simple to do. And again, we as physicians have not done enough over the years. And this is one of the reasons why there is so much Alzheimer's disease. And we really should be catching this much earlier. What we call Alzheimer's disease is really the fourth and final phase of an illness. And just as we now understand pre-diabetes and insulin resistance, we understand much more about pre-Alzheimer's disease. And we're able to pick things up long before you have Alzheimer's disease. And we're able to do something about it. So it really is time to change the way we think about this and make this the rare disease that it should be.
0: So I'm surprised to hear that, there's, that you can do something about it. Like when someone gets a diagnosis, and I realize this is something different, of early Alzheimer's, you know, that's, I guess, a diagnosis. If they're like getting their affairs in order. It's, it seems yes. like a death sentence that you cannot get out of and your whole life shifts. But is that something distinct and different from the the larger category of dementia and Alzheimer's is underneath that? And on your way to Alzheimer's, I I don't think you call everything early Alzheimer's.
4: Yes, that's a great point. So first, you have a period that you're asymptomatic, but you can already see changes if you do PET scans, for example, uh, or if you do spinal fluid analysis. And there are now just coming online, some blood tests that you can do. So there are some early markers that you can look at, and I think we're all going to be looking at these fairly soon. That is that is stage one. The second piece is called SCI, Subjective Cognitive Impairment. And as you alluded to a few minutes ago, you know, lots of people feel this way. I feel like things just aren't quite what they were. I can't remember phone numbers the way I used to, things like that. Uh, Your partner may may notice it, Uh, your colleagues may notice it, You, you certainly notice it, and yet you're able still to score in the normal percentiles when you do cognitive testing. Now, epidemiologically, that phase lasts about 10 years. So as you can see, we have a huge window of opportunity, which is just not being utilized efficiently. The third phase is called MCI, mild cognitive impairment. And it's really unfortunate that we physicians chose that term, mild cognitive impairment, because it's like telling someone, don't worry, you only have mildly metastatic cancer. Mm -hmm. It's a very late stage of the problem, and yet one that is still addressable. But so many times we say to people, oh, don't worry, it's just, it's just mild cognitive impairment. That's the one that precedes. And about 5 to 10% of those people each year will convert to full Alzheimer's disease. And you mentioned dementia. Uh, Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia, and dementia is global cognitive decline. And so you're right, we want to get in as early as possible. But having said that, Um, we've published a paper that shows that in fact, in a trial where we just took people in those third and fourth phases, MCI and Alzheimer's, uh, 84% of the people actually improved their scores. So we have this old fashioned notion that, oh, there's just nothing to be done. We might as well wait and wait and wait. And this is really becoming outdated quickly. We don't want to wait. We want to get in early. We want to get checked. And just as Mm. you indicated uh, our presidents, and of course, this has been discussed you know, many times in the past. Um, this is something we should be uh, considering for all of our uh, political figures. And of course, we're aware of some that did have issues with cognition, such as uh, President Woodrow Wilson, uh, FDR, of course, uh, well-documented as well. Uh, and, and of course, I mentioned uh, President Reagan earlier. Uh, and of course, as we all know, uh, uh Dr. Uh, Kevin O'Connor, the White House physician, um, has evaluated uh, President uh, Biden carefully uh, and declared him fit for office. So I think that's, that's the best evaluation, someone who is actually there and doing a very thorough evaluation. But for the future, you're absolutely right. We should be looking earlier and earlier for all of us, because we really do have the ability to reduce the global burden of dementia, which is a huge issue.
0: So can I ask you about that? Because uh, Kevin O'Connor, White House physician, did not do a cognitive test, or if he did, he refused to release the results. Those were not he he has not said. And there was a letter from Republicans uh, saying we need, we need more answers, you know, given what we're yes. seeing and you could make the case that for any politician over the age of, let's say 65, there's, sh- there should be an annual one of these, but I mean, in the presidents, there's a reason he has to take an annual physical exam for the, for the public, you know, and, and I don't know why a cognitive test wouldn't be in there. Even Sanjay Gupta was asking some good questions about that. Yeah.
4: And as you recall, he specifically said, uh, Dr. O'Connor in his report, um, neurology was included. And you're absolutely right. He didn't include any scores, and and I don't know whether that was because all we heard in the you know the the previous administration was 30, 30, 30. and whether that you know turned enough people off that he decided he wasn't going to say something, or if it's because he feels that it's not appropriate. And obviously, um, you know, that's up to him to divulge or not. uh, You know, up to his own. can I ask you about neurological
0: exam? Could could that just mean? I, I I'm a layperson, but that could that just mean Brain health, you know, like I I haven't had a stroke, you know, like my brain looks relatively healthy versus a test of whether I'm starting to lose memory and starting to go down this path of dementia.
4: So, no, every neurological exam includes evaluation of cognition. Now, there are some, of course, he could have just done things like orientation and memory and a few things, or he could have done something much more extensively. And he kind of implied that there was something more extensive because he mentioned specifically neurology there. So, yes, I agree with you. It it hasn't been pointed out what actually the scores were. It wasn't pointed out how detailed it was, but clearly it led him to feel Uh, that President Biden is fit for office.
0: Mm -hmm. And and how let's say that that's true. Okay, and and as with Trump, you you sort of you just you never know whether it's being manipulated, what's happening with Trump and his like 30, 30, whatever. Who knows? Um, But if it's true. And people are worried and we just went through, you know, for an hour and a half we've been talking about, well, he's he is forgetting words. He is losing his train of thought. He is search. He didn't he forgot that name of the pentagon he couldn't remember pentagon he forgot the name of the defense yeah. secretary you could go down the list so there's definitely signs but what you know what would you at what point would you say that we need actually more information like we as the american public must have more information i'm concerned
4: it's a great point and I, and of course megan i think this is much more of a political point than it is a neurological point because from the neurology side you can always ask for more information um, you can have a more in-depth cognitive evaluation, as I mentioned earlier. You can do online evaluations. You can also do the old-fashioned paper and pencil evaluations, which can be, you know, four six hours evaluating all the different regions of the brain. So you can get quite detailed if you want to. And uh, you know, I think the question then is, you know, how do you push that? When do you push that? Uh, and and how do you keep it from being? you know, a political football where every president who comes in gets accused by the other party of uh, of being cognitively imperfect. Uh, And so I I think this is a tough issue and and is one that um, obviously at some point is going to come before Congress.
0: So we have just a couple of minutes left, but can you just give us some examples on what could be done? Because I know a lot of people, they don't go to 23andMe because they don't want to know if there's a history of Alzheimer's, if they got something in them that makes them more predisposed. They just they feel like that's you can't stop it. Why live in fear of it? You know, what's going to happen is going to happen. You're really the doctor behind the the science of no, like it's fightable. Right. There are real things you can do. Can you spend a minute on that?
4: It's a great point. Um, and, you know, people didn't even used to believe in pre diabetes. So, yes, this is a new era, Megan. Uh, we're going from an old fashioned kind of medicine, which is what I was trained in way back in the 70s, that you know you you make a diagnosis you say what it is and then you write a prescription or you send someone to surgery 21st century medicine is changing that instead of what is it it's why is it why did you get these things Mm -hmm. and people are looking now at much larger data sets and looking at why did you get this problem whether it's alzheimer's or whether it's frontotemporal dementia or whether it's hypertension. What are these things? Instead of just giving you an antihypertensive, which is essentially a blind treatment. So as you indicated, there is a tremendous amount that can be done. And so first thing is to recognize, please don't wait. Either get on prevention or get on the earliest reversal, because this does sneak up on you when your doctor tells you, oh, you're just, it's normal aging. Please do not listen to that. It's not normal aging. You should be doing better. You should be able to do these things that you were able to do before. The second thing is get a, an evaluation that includes the very things that I talked about earlier. That's And there are a number of places. We've actually trained over 2,000 physicians in 10 different countries and all over the United States. So please get evaluated. You want to know if you have systemic inflammation. You want to know if you have specific Toxic exposures, chronic infections, these things all are potential contributors to cognitive decline. And then, as you indicated, you know, you want to address those. And there are so many things you can do. And so, I I know time is short, so I won't go into a lot of detail. Uh, I've written a book about this uh, called The End of Alzheimer's and another one called First Survivors of Alzheimer's. And it has all the details in there so that you can look to see uh, how to do this.
0: On order. Today, Dr. Dale Bredesen, thank you for your amazing work in this area and for coming on with us today.
4: Thanks for all you're doing, Megan.
0: All the best. Wow, that was a great discussion. I'm inspired to read that book, right? I want to have him back to talk about all the things that we can do to prevent dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, One of my producers, Kelly McGuire, was saying during the break, one of the things that he talked about was um, caffeine, like coffee. Coffee's good for you. It's good in this department of preventing this. So, Drink up. Uh, we'll get into the specifics next time we have them on. I think we'll, we'll do a, we're will do we going to do a show on brain health. I think that would be interesting. Uh, but in the meantime, tomorrow, we've got Glenn Greenwald back in the program to help us recap the primetime January 6th theater that's happening tonight. Uh, plus, comedian Christina P. That will be a fun exchange. In the meantime, go ahead and download the show on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher for free. Give me a five-star rating, please. That would help me out, uh, as well as a review, letting me know your thoughts on the show. Also, go to youtube.com slash Kelly. Thank you so much for listening. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.